Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Mary, trying to finish getting your presents before Christmas. <laughs> um, let's see. Last week, you can hear me. Last week, uh, at the very end, I talked about a strength in our church as we've been talking about some strengths in our church, and it was the area of serving. And so what I'd like to do this week is I am going to look at that. All I did was kind of mention it last week. I just want to look at it and kind of, but from a sort of from the from the uh, view of Advent. I am going to really do weird things with the Bible to make it <laughs> no <laughs> show how Advent and serving are really connected. To one another. Let me pray here. Lord, thank you for our time together and thank you for the opportunity to sing these Christmas carols and we think about the incarnation and just that you left heaven. Lord, did not regard equality with God a thing to cling to, but you emptied yourself. You came to us that you might die for our sins. So grateful for that, Lord. Help us to know the, and understand what you did. To be thankful. In your name we pray. Amen. So I am, first, I'm going to look at a passage in Mark. And I think the first thing is most important is Jesus is our example servant. He's the one who set the example. So we're going to kind of look at him and what he has to say and what he did to set that example. And this is a story where the disciples are arguing about who's the greatest. And, you know, and so there, and then Jesus just overhears, and he says to them after they kind of finish their argument, these words on the first slide here, it says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What we're going to see in all of these little stories is we're going to see the gospel. This is a gospel presentation by Jesus. It just We could go back to Philippians chapter 2 on all of these stories where Paul lays out just brilliantly what the gospel is, and we could see it in all of them. And here, what we see that is when we serve like Jesus, we are living out or performing the gospel. When, when we do what Jesus, when we learn to serve people the way Jesus served people, it's just like a walking parable, a, a, you know, a story, a play that demonstrates the gospel of Jesus. He calls him here and says, you must be the slave of, not only a servant, but the slave of all. And slave is a, you know, it's a really hard word for us because of our, Dick talked about the Civil War. Because of our, you know, our history, it, we don't want to use that word. And, you know, uh, some of the uh, Bible versions, this is the NET, I think, or maybe the New American Standard. Some of them soften it because of that. Now, I know that there's probably a little bit of difference between slavery then and slavery in the 1800s, but not much. 
It's a little bit, but not much. And, and I think it's important, even though it's a hard word for us, because Jesus is addressing some very important things by using the word slave in these situations. And it's because in their, they had it in his world, they had a very formal and strict ranking and class system. And so it started with, like in a household, there was the master, he was number one. Number two was his family. Number three was he would have a steward or stewards who kind of ran the business for him. And then the next people would have been, they would have had employees, actual employees, sometimes called servants. And then at the very bottom were the slaves. They were last in all of this. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at as he talks about this. I think it's easy for us, you know, sometimes you'll hear, well, like in a verse like, uh, slaves obey your masters, because we aren't in that situation, we will kind of um, culturalize it, bring it into our, contextualize it into our situation and say, well, it's kind of like at work, being an employee. And, and I get that, that's fine, but that's not what he's saying there. It's, it, it's something that is very different than that. And, and it's really living, as a slave, you were living in a constant sense of inferiority. That you are the lowest person that there is. And that's very different than being an employee, isn't it? That's the way it was there. It's interesting that he says here, whoever wants to be first, to be the slave, whoever wants to be great, become a servant of all. And I, I think God wants our ambition. Because we're humans, we have ambition. And he's saying, redirect that to being a servant. Want your ambition redirect being slave of all. So what I'm going to do, that kind of setting it up, I am going to uh, going to go through three stories, short stories in the Bible that kind of tell the story of God, the story of the Bible, the story of salvation, and they are connected with three meals. So we're going to look at these. They're short. The first one is in um, Genesis chapter 2. In verse 7. And it says this. Then the Lord God. Now I have some words. I tried to highlight them. We're not doing it on PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah, there they are. They're bolded and italicized. So you get it. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man, placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The creation story, in the creation story, God gets his hands dirty. He's a hands-on kind of God. 
and he does all this for human benefit. It really shows the servant nature of God. When we think of God, he is a servant. Not just, we know Jesus as a servant. He came to serve. God himself from the very beginning reveals himself to humanity as the one who serves for their, for our benefit. Chapter one we, of page one of the Bible, Tim Mackey is wont to say, we see this power of God. He says, let there be light. And he said it just like that. And there was light. <laughs> he used his big boy voice. And then all this stuff. And then all of a sudden we get to page two. And we see this God is in the dirt. And he's planting trees and whatever else he put in this garden. And then on the next slide, verse 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat from it you will surely die. So the very so in all this service, the very first thing he does with man is he makes him a meal. Now it's a different kind of meal. He didn't cook it. But that's the first thing he gives to him. He provided for humanity's needs. Serving is about providing for the real needs of other people. And I think that's something you all have done very well. Serving by providing real needs for others. Now, we're going to have a commercial break. So starting in January, or sometime in January, second or third week, I am going to be doing a Zoom class, back to the old Zoom classes of COVID. And um, it's going to be on Genesis 1 through 11. So I, if you want to join, I'll send out information. Anybody can join. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me say this also. If you have a phone at some point, get out. The, the Bible app, the Bible Project has an app. Do any of you have the Bible Project app on your phone? If you don't, probably you don't. I would get that on your phone because all of their stuff is there. And now they just put all their class. They do seminary classes that reach to any level. They're at the level of seminary, but anybody can follow along and really understand and they're all on the phone, and you don't have to watch them. You can just play the audio of them, but they don't download. So you got to be near Wi-Fi or have a really, like, you can't be like us. We have two gigabytes of whatever it's called for three phones. <laughs> so that's just the way it is. Um, so where was I? Oh, the second story. Um, let's, Luke chapter 12. Uh, this is a parable. I'm going to read the whole thing and then go back. Get dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those slaves whom their master finds alert 
when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. Have them take their place at the table and will come and wait on them, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night and finds them alert. Blessed are those slaves. Ken Bailey, who is an uh, ancient Near Eastern Bible scholar, um, who I have several of his books, I really enjoyed them, said this about this parable. He said, this deceptively simple parable is rich with theological content. This is, a, this is the story of the gospel. And, and it's just, this little parable is full of all those verses we looked at last week. It's just filled up with them in this tiny little parable. Now, for a little Bible geek time, um, often in the Bible, a story or a prophetic word has a double meaning. This is especially true about Christmas carols. So those prophecies made about Jesus. You know, when, when we're reading the story of Jesus, and we'll say, you know, Jesus has fulfilled this prophecy. Well, the prophecy was given in the Old Testament, but what we need to understand is, for the most part, most, if not all of them, had a immediate fulfilling in the context of the writer. And then is fulfilled again, ultimately, in Jesus. So one would be, behold, a vir in Isaiah, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, we know that from all our songs, that that's about Jesus, but it was also about a person born one chapter later in the book of Isaiah that it was speaking about. And that's all okay. This parable has a double meaning and a double fulfillment. We tend to see this parable about the second coming, right? And it is. But maybe more so, it's about Advent. And as we break it down, we're going to see what he's getting at. So if we go to the next slide. The other thing about this, it's very, it has very practically reveals the nature of the servant God to us. And, and of course, the master here represents God. Now on this next slide, what I've done here is, what I read to you is the NET Bible, and it says, Highlight there, dressed for service. Tells the slaves, get dressed for service. The steward does. The New American, which I'm most familiar with, says, be dressed in readiness. Now, that's different. When I read, be dressed, and, and I just saw this this week, studying it. When I read, be dressed in, dressed in readiness, I am thinking of the second coming. You know, my mind just goes to, oh, yeah, yeah, because Jesus come back at any time, and that's true. But he says, dressed for service, he's telling them to do something. And what's interesting is I never probably put the King James up there. Nothing wrong with the King James. But I just don't really use it and because and, um, I use others. But there it says, let your loins be girded about. And that's literally what it means. That's the literal translation 
And what he's saying is in their day, they wore these robes and they were loose and they went all the way down to their feet, but not touching the ground. And they were really, you know, they had all these different layers. And what they had to do to do anything, other than stand there and maybe walk really slowly, and I don't know how they did this, but they had to bundle all this stuff up and tie a rope or a belt, whatever it was around them, in order to serve, in order to work, in order to go to war, in order to run, in order to travel. And he's telling them to do that. Don't just sit around and wait. You get ready to work to serve your master when he returns. And then it says in 36, be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. Now, there's the word come is in there twice, come back. And, um, and when he comes, and they are totally different words. Totally different. The second one means to come. The first one means to depart. To leave. To cut loose. And so what we have here is the master is leaving the wedding. I think when we, when we read the story, we think of the story of the ten virgins who went out to meet the bridegroom. The master's not the bridegroom here. His servants are not going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The master is leaving whatever wedding he is at, and he's coming to his servants. Some think he left before the wedding was over because of the first, third, and second watch thing. Go to the next slide. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he returns. This is kind of where the twist comes in. He tells them to be alert, to be expecting, to be watching. And then he says, I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. That, that, those are the exact same word. He's girding his loins. So the master comes back in his wedding garments. They open the door. He gathers it all up, belts it all on him. Well, who came down in his wedding garments? Form of God, did not regard equality with God, thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. I think this is a picture and a story about what Jesus did, the Son of God did. And then it goes on, it says, take their place at the table and will come and wait on them, even if he comes the second or third time. And the master serves the slaves. The master becomes the slave. Jesus became man and even a slave. Why? Serve us. This is really, this is part of the great reversal in their world. These things didn't happen. We look at this because we're Christians and we think, oh my, what, what an honorable thing to do. But that's not the way they would have seen it. 
This was humiliating and shameful for a master to do. And we have a hard time with that because it's just not our language. The disciples, this would have been radical. They would not have understood this, and we know that just by reading about them. You know, like for us, you know, we talk about servant leadership, and that's a good thing. And there are books written about it because of the position we're in. But when Jesus is talking about him, we need to understand he's talking about humiliation and shame for us to really get what's happening. He's pointing towards the humiliation and shame of the cross. In some ways, we need to learn the same. So this parable, if we go to the next slide, is going to be fulfilled. Jesus is going to live out this parable in another kind of metaphorical way as a living parable. John 13. This is the Last Supper, and so another meal. It's the third meal here. And there he's, the Last Supper began in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. And just think of the language here, and this is another gospel story. Just place it right in there. Jesus, who is equal with God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, not regard equality with things to be grasped, but emptied himself. Taking a towel, he girded himself. He poured the water into the basin. It's just like the pouring of, out of his blood to wash the disciples' feet, but it's really washing the disciples' sin away, to wipe them with a towel with which he had girded himself. On the next slide. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? And we need to ask ourselves sometimes. Do we know what he has done. They did not know what he is. For them, says Peter, he says, no, you can't wash my feet. He's speaking for them. This is the foot washing were for the slaves. It was their job, the lowest of the low. The master does not do that in their world. But Jesus did it. And then he goes, I says, you call me teacher and Lord. You're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. This is our serving God. This is what he does. And it's not about feet. It's about, and, and the foot washing, fine, done. It's about the self-sacrificial service for others. And, and you all have been a, a great example of that in so many ways. 
And I think even though we don't use words like humiliation anymore and shameful, we have to find a way for our service to enter into that. And, and it's going to look different because, again, there's different meanings for us. I, I understand that. But serve, that's what Jesus' kind of service is. It's just, it's just there throughout the Bible, even though it's not our language. It's still important. So I've just got a couple ways maybe we can think about this that may work in our situation. And the first one is I know it's important to find ministries and service that you're passionate about, passionate about, that you maybe are gifted for, and then to serve in those areas. That's really important, and it's a way of service. But I would suggest this, that it is just as important to serve when we see real needs in areas we have no interest in, that don't mean anything to us. That's not really shameful or, you know... (laughs) humiliating but it's a real it's a real tangible way of doing Jesus kind of service I really believe that it's a tangible way of doing Jesus kind of service and many of you have been really good at this a second way I think is this is joyfully serving those who have not been the most responsible people. That's a hard one. Now, again, balance, we don't want to enable or be enablers and all that. I I get all that. But Jesus kind of died for those who weren't the most responsible people. (laughs) Right? Like all of them... We're not the most responsible people. And he served them to the end, to death, even death on a cross. And, and, and another thing, another third one might here be is, for Jesus, service wasn't about getting the most bang for your buck. I think, I think sometimes we think that way. I don't think we're doing it. I think it's just natural. Like, well, you know, where's the the most important place to do this. And that's important. But it's also really important to do those services that really you're not going to get bang for your buck. You're just going to meet a need of somebody. And it may just simply only be that. Nobody else will know and nobody else will be affected by it. But I think that's how Jesus approached it. One final story. So I will end early today. This is the bonus story because I only told you three, right? It's your lucky day. <laughs> Get a bonus. Luke 5, this is the story of the prodigal son. And I'm going to read Act one whole verse from that story. And that's it. 
You know the story. We, we all know the story. The prodigal has finally come to his senses, and he says, I'm going back to my dad. I'll be one of the servants. He has plenty of food. I'm dying. I'm starving, and I'm going to die here. So he heads on back, and so he got up and came to his father. Now, the father here, of course, is God in the story, at least representative. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. So this is um, another returning story. But what, what's going to happen here, it's going to be like the other stories, all the other stories we, we read, but it's going to be flipped. Where the master comes, returns from the wedding, what we have here is we have the lost son returning. And who is watching? Who is waiting? Who is expecting? Father. So just like Jesus tells these slaves, you wait, watch, or the master does. That's exactly what's happening here. He is the servant. And then look at the next line. It says, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And if you've you know, read, I know Henry Nowen has a great book on this, and so does um, Tim Keller on, on this story. And they both, and, and um, Ken Bailey blows this out. I think they get most of the info from him. But um, they talk about how for a master, the head of a household, to run like this, he would have had to what? Gird up his clothes thing. But it would have been shameful. All those seeing this would have been shameful and humiliating. But that is our God. And then what he does is he throws this huge celebration. And we see, I mean, it cost the father a large portion of his wealth because he, he gave the son his inheritance, his share, and it's all gone. And then what does he do? He throws Another party, which for the whole community, which would have cost him all the more. And what we see with God is we see costly service. And it's not just financial cost, but service costs us other opportunities. Every time we decide we're going to serve a real need, we are giving up other opportunities. And a lot of times we debate that. And I get you can't do everything, and I understand all of that. And we shouldn't. And we need to avoid feeling like, oh, it's my duty. Every time there's a need, you know, you don't want to be that kind of person who can't get time for themselves. But our life needs these times of costly service. We just need them. They need to be part of our discipleship. It's not all we do, but it's something we must do.
This father served his son, who was not the most responsible. And he served him fully. And he had compassion for the unresponsible. And I, and I think, the final little thought here is, as the father was looking out, watching, expecting, and waiting, I think we need all, and I think we do this, I think you do this. I know you do. I think we need to continue to look, watch, and expect opportunities to serve people, to see needs, and to engage. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being our example, Lord. Very simple example, but very clear. Lord, you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. And though we can't give our life a ransom for any, you gave that, you did that. We can give ourselves to serving one another, meeting one another's needs, and in any way possible, washing one another's feet. In your name we pray. Amen. Very good. This is um, was written in the 1700s. It's kind of a summary of poem. It's a summary of the Luke account.
I've been listening to a lot of Christmas carols this week, which I'm sure a lot of us do this time of year. Um, but something I've been doing, um, other than just listening to the music, is I've gone online and actually looked at the written words and just read them as words instead of singing them. Um, and I found some interesting things by doing that where some of the meanings I've kind of just missed because I'm so used to singing certain words and singing and I'm concentrating on the music. And one of those songs is O Holy Night. Now, O Holy Night, when I was growing up, was the song that the very best singers sang <laughs> because it had such a huge vocal range. And if you were that person in church, you got to sing that song. And it was just, uh, if they had a good voice. If they didn't have a good voice, it was tragic. But um, I just, I was just reading through the words of O Holy Night. And I came to the third verse. And it made me think of God's love, um, who God is. Um, I, I'm not going to say any more about it. I, I just want to read it to you. Truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains he shall break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name.